So hi guys, this is week three in our identity series looking at the life of Joseph. And last week Phil really helpfully um, explored the truth that God really wants to speak to us, that he has these amazing truths that he wants to reveal to us. And I'm pleased to report, lo and behold, that I believe God has spoken to me this week. So this week, just in my private time, I've been reading from Genesis 39. I asked the Lord to speak to me um, through his word, and I believe that he has. So I really hope that, depending on where your levels of faith might be today, that either really excites you, that the next half an hour you'll be hearing some stuff that God has revealed to a guy and that he's speaking over a group of people. So I hope that excites you. Or maybe even if your levels of faith are quite low, that at the very least would intrigue you. Uh, as you hear a guy claiming that God has spoken to him through his word. Now, one thing that I want us to remember from the beginning, I think it's really important for us to remember about Joseph, was that Joseph was the favorite. Okay, he was the favorite because he, was been, he had been born to his dad, Jacob. When Jacob was older and in later life, Joseph had assumed and been given this uh, position of being the favorite. He'd become a real daddy's boy. Uh, Jacob had this soft spot for the boy. And so uh, Joseph's life was lived through that filter whilst also working alongside a group of big, big group of brothers uh, who didn't like the fact he was favorite. So that's the, the kind of filter through which we, we are introduced to Joseph in Genesis, in Genesis 37. Um, so we see these two things tussling at the life of Joseph. And so straight out from Joseph's working life, when we meet him as a 17-year-old guy, uh, he's living up to these big expectations that his father has upon his life, whilst also working alongside a group of brothers that really don't have his back. Um, and I don't know whether you've ever worked or lived alongside, closely alongside people that you don't gel with, uh, but here we can see a guy, Joseph, who can really relate to that kind of lifestyle, that, that kind of uh, challenge. And he was living up against these brothers. To, I mean, they, they really didn't like him to the extent that they wanted to murder him. They really wanted him out of the picture that badly that they were willing to murder him. And one of them wises up, one of the brothers named Reuben, uh, has a change of heart, a change of conscience, and convinces the other guys that they're actually to sell him off into slavery um, because they've... Like he just can't deal with the fact that they might actually murder the little brother. So I don't know whether you've known bad days at work. Let me tell you, this was a bad day in the office for Joseph. This was a really, I mean, you can only imagine the kind of pressure that he was under. So now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 39. And we find Joseph well out of his comfort zone. So he's been sold off into slavery He's no longer the favoured daddy's boy at home, so you can, like, he's kissed goodbye to any sort of familiarity, any sort of uh, hope for the future, any sort of um, relative comfort that he may have experienced. And now he's living as a slave in Egypt. So imagine, like, there's no prospects. He's at the bottom of the barrel. He's, got an, he's in a really hopeless situation. But I want to read from Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 to 4, because something huge 
is spoken to us. So it says at the beginning, we're told, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. That's, that's huge. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given success to everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master and became his attendant. So Potiphar, so Potiphar was this very, very senior Egyptian official. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So here we find that Joseph is like way, way down on his backside, like he's really at the bottom of his luck. He's seemingly lost any sense of privilege, any sense of hope that he might have once had. But God is so determined to bring the measure of his glory to bear in our lives that he will, he will use any circumstances that we may find ourselves in and cause blessing to come in those circumstances as well. So Joseph's character is so set apart that he is rewarded and he's recognized, he's, he's given great recognition even in the midst of that hard trial. And so his boss's home and his boss's life, like it talks about his, his home and his fields, were blessed as a result of Joseph. Now that, I mean, I don't know whether you've approached somebody you work for or work, work closely alongside and you think, actually, I'm going to be a real blessing to the, that person. That's something that doesn't ne necessarily come very easily. It's certainly not something that happens naturally to many of us. So I find it super intriguing that God enables something in Joseph's character to mean that everything in Potiphar's house is blessed and becomes favored because of this one slave. Now, I remember in one of my first jobs going back probably about 10 years ago or so now, I was working in a big publishing house selling advertising space. And to be honest, I didn't go at it with a very good attitude. Like I, at that time, I was still going out quite a lot. I was playing football every week. I was about to get married, so I was really preoccupied by that. We were about to go traveling together after marriage, so we were planning about all that kind of stuff. Basically, anything but work was getting my attention. And I had this one boss who, he was kind of, I just didn't really get along very well with him. He was quite rude. He was quite greedy. He had this... He had a face that looked like a baby rhino, which always used to really bug me. So that basically, the, everything about him I used to really jar with. And so I think it's safe to say that I, I wasn't really in a dream job. He wasn't my dream boss, and I certainly wasn't his dream employee at that point. So I find like my reactions and my behavior, it didn't cause me to stand out as it could have done. So I find it really incredible that there was something at work in Joseph's character that meant he had an impact on his surroundings, even when he was in really hard working conditions. Because Joseph, I mean, he'd grown up with the favor of his father Jacob, so he would have had a certain level of confidence in himself. He would have lived with the, the reality of trying to work alongside his brothers, giving him a hard time. So he would have had a resilience, he would have had an ability to adapt, that, that he would have been, he, it would have been learnt behavior. He would have endured that kind of mockery and ridicule. But the main thing, the main thing was that the Lord was with him. That's the killer detail. That's really, really important for me and you to hear. That's the thing that makes all the difference. So he might have been resilient. 
He might have been hardworking. He might have been really diligent with the little things, but God was with him. So Joseph found himself in an unusual place, but God met him there. And you and I need to hear that today. God can be with us. And the upshot of that, the, the, the thing that is caused as a result of that, is that we can be set apart from those around us. So by his grace, by his spirit that is at work within us, we get to carry out everyday tasks, just the stuff of everyday life, with God. This is amazing. This is an amazing truth. And if we get that, if we know that, it means that the, the everyday tasks that we find ourselves doing, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's at the weekends, whenever it might be, there's huge potential found in anything we do because we can know that God is with us, whether it's doing our dream job or otherwise. Now, you might look at how you spend your week. You might know what your work circumstances look like at the moment or maybe where you're studying at the moment and you think, um, really? Or maybe if you're retired and you can, you can detail how you spend your retirement at the moment, you think, well, that, that, I don't see how that's going to fit. Like, you don't know, Adam, you don't know how, how could you say that? You don't know what my life is really like at the moment. But I think that Joseph's quite extreme example teaches us that there are no exceptions. Like, you're not the exception here. God can use you no matter where you find yourself right now. None of us need to be defined by what we do. We're, we can be defined by the God who was alongside us in that moment. And that detail changes everything for me and you. Now, I want to tell you a slightly different story. This is a few years after the... Um, the, the first job that I told you about. So when I was probably about 24, 25, a number of different people, um, some of them who knew me, some of them who didn't, spoke these uh, prophetic words over my life. So we heard Phil talk about prophecy last week. I, I received a bunch of prophetic words from a range of different people around that time. And they were all saying that they felt God was calling me to, to become a pastor and that they, were, that they felt God was calling me to help lead a church. Now, Growing up, I'd always wanted to be a policeman. Like That was my thing that I thought I was going to do. Like I've, I, I really wanted to, that, for that to be my career. So I kind of took these words and the fact they were coming from various different directions and I prayed about it. And I actually felt some truth in it. I felt my heart change a bit and I, th I thought actually maybe there was some truth in what they're saying. And then one time I was praying to God and I really clearly felt him speak to me personally about it. He told me that it wasn't going to happen until I turned 30. So this is a number of years off at that point. But that I was to go and find work elsewhere and that I was to go at it with a different attitude. So not like the, f the first job I talked about, but I was to work with real integrity, that I was to display godly character, that I was to make the most of that situation and that he would bring some of his glory to bear in that place as much as he might be able to do it through being a church pastor and ministering. Now, eventually, I found a sales job, and it wasn't my dream job, but my heart had changed in that, in that moment. It really had. And do you know what? I worked really hard. I worked with a different attitude than what I'd had before. So I tried to display godly character. I was trying to be patient and kind and honest with people. Like I, I was working in sales, but I never missold anything. I never cut corners. I never lied. I never got caught up in any of the messy office politics. Even when I was managing people that were quite hard to manage, I always tried to do it with, with Jesus in mind 
and not being overly influenced by the challenges or by the job title that I was trying to fulfill. And God really blessed that time. He really did. He taught me tons in that role. He taught me loads about myself. He really did. But he helped me to become like the, one of the best salespeople in the company. And I got two quick promotions. And then I ended up in a third job as well, which I really loved and was starting to get really good at. But you know what? I quit that final job to take up a pastoral role at Everyday Church. And I started that role two days before my 30th birthday. It turns out that the stuff that God had been speaking to me about, when I was applying it, when I was, when I was receiving it and living by it, I could see God break out in the little details, even in a job that I wasn't really expecting to do. I could see God in the fine details the whole time. So the, the lie would be that we're going to spend the stuff that we do with our time, the way that we work, the stuff that we put our hands to, is going to result in just a, in, in a joyless life and it's going to drain us. But the truth is, no, with God's help, he will enable us to take responsibility for tasks. He will enable us to work with a pure heart, to behave in such a way as to become a blessing to the people that we're around. The lie of this world is that you are what you do. The truth of the kingdom is, no, you're not. The lie of this world is that you can't really ever make a difference. God's truth is, yes, you can. And I just want to ask, I wonder if you can just weigh this up, take it home and think about it. Are you currently defined by what you do or by the one who stands alongside you when you do it? Are you currently defined by what you do or do you know that God is with you in that moment when you're doing those things? It's a really big question. I want you guys to think about it. Now, in the second half of chapter 39, something crazy happens here. So something it takes a real turn for Joseph. So let, let me read. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. I have your attention now. If you weren't listening, you're listening now. She says, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So man, Joseph knows what it's like to be tested, right? I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit. So I mentioned before that Potiphar was a senior Egyptian official. So I'm going to suggest that his wife, I mean, he would have had the pick of the bunch. I'm going to suggest that Potiphar's wife was probably quite a good-looking lady. Okay, you can imagine this beautiful lady saying, come to bed with me. That would have been a very, very tempting moment for our friend Joseph. And so even though he's living in that pressure cooker of an environment, so he's, he's living in as, as a slave, far away from any comfort he once knew, he's presented with this beautiful lady who's married to his master. He has the op he op opportunity to get one over on his master and sleep with his wife. Like you can imagine the whole turmoil that's going on in, in his mind at that point. 
this beautiful lady throwing herself at him, and yet his godly character remains steadfast even in that moment. So Joseph even says, you might have heard it just said a moment ago, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So Joseph wasn't perfect. I believe the only man to have ever lived who was perfect was Jesus Christ. So Joseph isn't a perfect man, but his judgment here is solid. Because not only does he choose not to sin, when it must have been pretty tempting to do so, but he chooses to acknowledge God in the process as well. In that moment, Joseph is living with something greater in mind. Joseph has been set apart. He knows of that better prize that he can continually live for and that prize that, continue, that can continually inspire and shape his character and his reactions even in the trickiest of moments. And I wonder, how, how has that been going for you recently? When temptations come along, do you give in very easily? Do you, do you fold and just kind of go with the flow? Or are you quick to remember the God who was there with you in every single moment of every single day? Do you remember that his honor and his glory are at stake, depending on how you choose to react in that moment. You might think, well, that was quite a big temptation for Joseph to face. If he'd had sex with her, it would have, there would have been big implications. It would have been a, a bit of a messy thing to have done. It's not like Joseph was doing some kind of low-level sin, like taking a longer lunch break or, I don't know, stealing stationery from the office cupboard or whatever it might be, something that's kind of a little bit less uh, important or noticeable. But I don't believe that God tells us this story or gives us this detail about Joseph's life to highlight the size of the temptation that Joseph faced. The fact that Joseph turned and fled from the, from the temptation, that is the main detail here. I wonder, is that something that you are disciplined with? Is that something that you're being deliberate with at the moment? And I'm not just referring to those big, obvious temptations that, that creep up. Like I, I, like I said, I'm pretty sure we would all agree that if he'd slept with this lady, it would have been, a bad, it would have been an unwise move to have made. But I'm, just, I'm also referring to those temptations that might potentially go unnoticed or that maybe won't have such an impact in the moment. Because standing firm against small temptations is what really sets us apart. That's where the rubber really hits the road. So I don't know what your attitude would be like. Maybe flirty text messages or, or emails that might ping around your, your group of friends or your, your work colleagues, for example. Maybe that temptation to have one drink too many at your friend's party or your workmate's leaving do. Cutting corners deliberately at work so you actually don't do a very good job, but you just kind of get by by doing the bare minimum. Maybe there's people that you see on your commute or on your, just within your daily routine at the bus stop or on the tube or wherever it is that you're traveling that catch your eye and you see them from time to time and they think, she's a bit of a right or he's a bit of a right. Maybe attempting tasks with just a general can't be bothered attitude. I don't know what it will be. There's kind of low level sins that we think actually they don't really have a big impact on my life. They don't really, no one notices them. I don't know what that might be for you. 
But I, have, I am full of faith that the Holy Spirit is now identifying stuff within your lives. You think, actually, yeah, I do do that. Yeah, that, I can identify with that in a, in a, to a certain degree. Because if we choose to seek God's kingdom first, like we're encouraged to do in Matthew chapter 6, if that really is the desire of our hearts as, as we're living as everyday people, living for an extraordinary God, over and over and over again, we're going to graciously, he's going to graciously enable us to turn from those temptations and in some case flee from them altogether. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins so that we'd continue living like they don't matter. He overcame our sins so that we would be set apart from the world around us. And it's during those moments of reaction or, or maybe those tests of responsibility that the quality and the depth of our faith and character can be revealed truly to the world around us. So how you react in a tricky moment or how you treat somebody who's hard to, to work alongside or to live alongside, how you behave when it's a Monday morning and you can't be bothered and you're just tired, those are key moments to display God's kingdom to a world that so desperately needs to see it. In one of his last interactions with God the Father before Jesus allows himself to get arrested, so this is in, um, I think it's in John chapter 17. So this is Jesus speaking to his Father. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of this world. So he doesn't want us to live in some bubble-wrapped life where we don't experience temptation or experience the reality of life. My prayer is not that you would take them out of this world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. So Jesus lived every single moment of his life with, with the kingdom in mind. And he says, we're not of that world either. Okay, we're, we're of a kingdom world. That's, that's, how, that's what he calls his followers to, to have the mentality of thinking like, we're of another world. We're not of this world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So make them holy. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified, that they too may be truly holy, that they may be truly set apart, that they may be truly righteous. That's what he's meaning. So Jesus laid down his life so that we would be released, so that we would be enabled into taking this kind of kingdom living really seriously. And I wonder, how often do you approach tasks of the day? How often do you approach the stuff of work, the stuff of, like, the areas of responsibility that you may have within your life? How do you approach that, those tasks with that kind of confidence? Thinking, okay, I've got, a, I've got another kingdom in here. I've got another kingdom in here that I'm living for. I'm to be in this world, I'm to, I'm to, but I'm to live set apart. Do you have a confidence in the way you approach your tasks like that? Because if we look at somebody like Joseph, as we're going to be doing over the next few weeks together, more often than not, God is going to lead us to places or is going to give us tasks and roles and areas of responsibility that we weren't expecting. He might allow circumstances to arise that may test us so that our faith may be proven by our reactions. 
So God reveals to us, even through this example in Joseph, of Joseph's life, that no matter what happens, he is always near and he is always on standby to bring blessing. Now, not long after we met Joseph in uh, Genesis 37, his brothers place him in a hole before they slave him, uh, send him off into slavery. And not long after fleeing Potiphar's wife, our mate Joseph finds himself in another hole, in prison. So Potiphar's wife is so uh, annoyed by the fact that he's spurned her advances to go and have sex with her that he, she actually makes up a lie that he tried to rape her. And as a result, Joseph ends up in prison totally unfairly, like obviously you can see that, like he did nothing wrong and yet because of her lies and her lust, he ends up in prison. So you've got to feel sorry for this guy, but God's word tells us that even still, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So time and time again, Joseph's character and his identity are, are questioned and attacked. And no matter what the, the pressure, no matter what the strain, no matter how menial the tasks may be, no matter how rough the, the surroundings may look, no matter how much it must have felt like he was in this pressure cooker of an environment, God was with him and he stood out from amongst the crowd. So he, he, was, he stood out to his father Jacob. He stood out from the other brothers. And he stood out from the other slaves to Potiphar. And he stood out from the other prisoners to the prison wardens. wardens. Because God had set him apart for a specific purpose and allowed his character and allowed his identity to be forged while stuck in those difficult or different places. So the holes refined his character. God needed him to be there for a reason. And sometimes we're going to find ourselves in circumstances or with tasks to do or in situations that don't make sense or fit with our plan but God might need us there. God might need you there for a very specific purpose. And because Jesus died and his accusers placed him in a hole and because Jesus, the Son of God, rose again and because Jesus equips his followers with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit now, our characters can be redefined too. So Joseph... Joseph's identity as a son was replaced by that of a slave. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can find that our identities that can so easily be entangled with sin and temptation become free. And we're then given purpose and meaning and direction and grace as sons and daughters of God. So with Joseph, we see the son that becomes the slave the truth for our lives is that the slaves can become the sons and daughters. So I don't know about you, but I mean, I think what, what greater comfort could I possibly have going through just the routine and the bump and grind of a regular week besides the knowledge that the creator of the universe, the Lord of life, the saviour of the world is there with me along the way. 
as we work, as we rest. And he calls us, he calls me, he calls you to stand out. Stand out from the crowd so that the glories of his character may shine through us in the way that we speak, in the way that we think, in the way that we react in any given moment. And the result of that is that people around us get blessed. God made you so that you would stand out. He made you so that you would stand out. And if you've given your life to Jesus, if, if, you have, um, if, if he has taken the burden of your sins off your shoulders, I just want to ask you, like, within that place where you should be living with freedom or in freedom, what has your attitude been like recently towards tasks and roles or, or situations that he's given you? Are they crushing you? Are they defining you? Because God doesn't want either of those things for your life. He doesn't want you to be crushed or defined by your roles or by your tasks. God wants neither of those things for you. If the people around you, who you interact with or who you work with or who you see on a regular basis, could, I mean, could they really say, well, there really is something different about that girl. There really is something different about that guy. Or would they say, really, she's... A, She's a Christian, I would never have known. Are you really that different from the world around you? Do your words, do your reactions, do the way you respond to circumstances when they come and go, does it cause you to stand out from the world around you? Or are you so easily giving into temptations? Are you so blind to what, what might be happening in front of you? Or regardless of the the circumstances, or regardless of how big or small that temptation or that, that pressure cooker moment may feel, do you react in such a way that you really don't stand out from the crowd that much? It doesn't really matter whether you follow Jesus or not. You wouldn't make that much of a difference. Because I want to tell you today, God saved you so that you would be a light in that place. Even you. Even you. He made you so that you would be a light in that place. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to refresh and remind many of us today that continually we can set our hearts or set our minds, sorry, on things above, not on earthly things, like we're encouraged to do in Colossians chapter 3, or that we're no longer slaves to sin, that we're no longer bound uh, to the, the sin that was entangling us, but that we're actually slaves to a righteous way of living, like we're taught to do in Romans chapter 6. Because with his Holy Spirit in us, our whole nature changes. When we get that, we, we find ourselves set apart. It's amazing. Or perhaps you, you're hearing me talk and you find yourself today in a place where you, um, you've never given your life to Jesus. And in all truth, if you really thought about it for a moment, you find yourself in a place where you're actually struggling to find meaning or you're struggling to find a purpose with the stuff of life that's in front of you. Maybe due to your tough circumstances or maybe due to your um, real worldly successes that you're able to identify in your life. Whichever is happening in your life, you're actually f you still feel like there's a, a lack of meaning, there's a lack of definition that you're still hungry for. Now, a, good, a good friend of mine, I was even 
it's amazing how God works. Quite recently, speaking to a, a good friend of mine who is actually quite successful, particularly in the eyes of the world, you'd say actually he's a really successful guy. But he recently told me, despite his, his accomplishments, there's still such a meaninglessness to his life. Something inside him is pulling him, saying actually there's got to be more to this. Like Despite what, what I've achieved and what I've accrued, there's something that's missing in my life. I wonder, can you relate to that? God wants to awaken you to the truth today, the wonderful truth that he can captivate your life, that he can give you meaning and purpose, that you can be a big, big blessing to people around you if you live like his son Jesus. He can bring a freedom that is just currently not known. And there is a hope that is found in that trust and that, that relationship that cannot be found anywhere else or by anything else. No circumstance like it will compare. I really hope that, that e even in this talk as we're looking at Joseph and as we go on to continue looking at the life of Joseph that, that you'll be helped to see that regardless of the situation a life with God at the centre is unlike anything else we can find. And so I just really simply, I want to end my talk there. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit will use my words, that you will go away with stuff to think about, that you'll be challenged, that you'll, you're, you'll be given a fresh sense of enthusiasm and delight in the stuff that he's put in front of you to do. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will work and continue working where my, my words have, have finished. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how we can find you in the, in the fine details of life in the very center of it. That as a man, as Jesus, you lived on earth, you knew what it was like to take on tasks of the day and to, to take on responsibilities where it might have been easier not to. That you worked at it with just an amazing character and an amazing resilience and amazing love for the people around you. That you always had your father in mind, that you always had the kingdom of God in your mind as you went about the day-to-day tasks and now with the gift of the spirit upon us that you've poured out after going back to the right hand of the father we now have that same ability to live with righteousness and a, a godly character that brings explanation and revelation and meaning and purpose and freedom to the everyday lives that we live so father i want to ask that that your words will continue to speak to people when my words finish, I want to pray that your spirit will continue to identify areas of temptation maybe that need to be fleed from and addressed because you died for our sins so that we could live in freedom from them. Shape and redefine and refine for yourself a people here that display the things of the kingdom and set us apart from the world around us so that your son may get all the glory and that your kingdom may be known. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.